This is Healthline, a joint venture of WTIC News Talk 1080 and Yale Cancer Center. Yale Cancer Center is a resource for cancer programs throughout Connecticut, developing new advances in prevention, screening, diagnosis, and treatment. On Healthline, you'll hear from some of the leading doctors in the country. Healthline is not intended to provide medical advice. Yale Cancer Center urges you to consult with a qualified physician in your community for diagnosis and for answers to your medical questions. And now, our co-hosts, oncologists Ken Miller and Ed Chu. Good morning and welcome to Healthline. My name is Dr. Ken Miller and I'm the director of the Survivorship Program at the Yale Cancer Center. Healthline with the Yale Cancer Center is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care every Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m. here on this station, WTIC News Talk 1080. Our Healthline program features some of the nation's leading oncologists and cancer specialists who are on the forefront to battle uh, cancer right here in our state of Connecticut. We're joined by a different expert from the Yale Cancer Center each week, and together we will talk about the myths about cancer, the latest treatment available to people with cancer, and advances in clinical research. Our goal is to give you help by sharing this information and also to give you hope. And if you'd like to submit a question about Cancer to Healthline, please email us at healthline at yale.edu or call 1-888-234-4YCC. And if you are interested in listening to past editions of Healthline, or if you'd like to learn more about a specific kind of cancer, all of our shows are now posted in audio and written format on the Yale Cancer Center website, which is www.yalecancercenter.org. Uh, today, uh, my co-host, Dr. Ed Chu, is, is not with us. He's on vacation, and uh, uh, so I have the pleasure of, uh, of being the moderator today. And we're going to talk about progress in ovarian cancer research. And we're very fortunate today to have our guest, uh, Dr. Gil Moore, who's an associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology and uh, a lead researcher uh, in a program here at Yale called Discovery to Cure and a lead researcher in this field uh, throughout the country. Gil, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, I'd like to start out by asking you, um, what is the Discovery to Cure program? The Discovery to Cure program is a translational research program that we established almost uh, four years ago. The objective of the program is to cut the time that usually takes to bring new discoveries from the lab to the benefit of the patient. As you are aware, when, you dis- when we discover something in the lab, it may take five to ten years until somebody dis- rediscovers for the clinic and maybe another five years until you go to a company, start the clinical trials, and 15 years, if we don't say less, and more, uh, in order to be applied to the clinic and for the patient. So you're saying in, in, as, of, as it's been in the past, it could be up to 15 years from a, a discovery in the laboratory to when it really benefits somebody. Some, That's correct. It's a long time. It's a long, long time. Now we have done all that in between one year to 16 months. So whatever we discover, we bring it immediately to the clinic, clinical trials, and we license our discoveries to pharmaceutical companies who can move those discoveries for the patient, for the use in the clinic. So it sounds in many ways that this is a a marriage between uh, academics and and industry really using the best skills of both. That's correct. And you brought in a very nice way because not only we work in the academics with our colleagues in the clinic, in the gynecology oncology clinic, we work with a lot of pharmaceutical companies. 
we test the new compounds, and we bring whatever we found in the new concepts to clinical trials. Well, uh, obviously, it sounds like one of the one of the goals is 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 to speed up the uh, the, the translation of new new discoveries to to clinical care. Are there any other major goals of the program? Yes. Um, let me put to, in, to summarize uh, in the two main areas of interest that we have. One area is related to early detection of gynecological cancers. So we want to develop tests that can predict at early stages when the cancer is appearing. And the second major area is to develop new therapeutical approaches to treat those patients. All right, so let, let's get into a little more depth. Uh, in terms of early detection, that obviously be a wonderful thing. Uh, for men, we have PSA, uh, which has turned out to be very useful. What's happening in terms of early detection of ovarian cancer? In early detection of ovarian cancer, as you know, and I think you have discussed in previous, uh, uh, in previous meetings, there is nothing really that can detect when this, the disease at its early stages is stage 1 and 2. C125, the only marker that we have today, has a very low specificity for a stage 1 and, and a stage 2. It's between maybe 20-25%. Uh, so the majority of the cases in ovarian cancer are diagnosed when the disease is a stage 3 and 4. And three those stages, it's very difficult. So uh, the work that you've been doing in terms of early detection, what are some of your findings and how are those translating to, to how we may improve patient care? Okay. So what we did is we developed uh, last year, we reported in May 2005, and I'm going to use this as an example how things move very fast with us. So we reported the development of a new test that is uh, a blood test that look at four markers in the blood. As I say, we reported in May 2005, uh, this test has a specificity and sensitivity of 95%. Wow. Yeah? That is, is really impressive. We reported in May. We did the first validation with NCI. We licensed this product already for a company, LabCorp, and we are now in a national clinical trial with validation, and we hope this will be commercially available very soon. So potentially, we, we might have the equivalent of a PSA for women. That's correct, and I must say even better than PSA. Well, that's true, because P PSA I don't think is 95%. Absolutely, no, I think it's around 60% or something yes. like that. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, that's, I mean, which, is, which is very, very exciting. So hopefully women can be diagnosed earlier if they develop this disease and, and treated earlier. That's correct. I mean, the test that we have developed is, um, is able to detect stage one and two of the disease. Yeah. And we have several cases where during the study that we have been doing, it has recognized when the um, ultrasound failed, when C125 failed, when everything was looking that the patient was completely normal. Our test found that it was positive, that was something was there, and it was confirmed by the pathologist and in a stage 1A. So we are able to recognize at a stage 1A. That is the early stages of the disease. Gil, let me ask you on a, on a more basic level, how many uh, women develop ovarian cancer? Uh, the numbers, the statistics indicate that last, uh, this year is expected to have around 22,600 newly, diagnosed, uh, newly uh, diagnosed ovarian cancer patients. From those 22,000, 
16,000 will die of the disease. And the reason is because from those 22,000, maybe 80% are diagnosed in stage three and four. And so if, we, if that shifted so that we we're diagnosing in stage one and two, it sounds like the, the chance of living out a normal life would, would be much higher. That's correct. Because the improvement, the treatment, uh, when it's discovered in stage one or two, uh, you have a 90% five-year survival. And even you can maintain the disease in a stable condition. So it's a big, big difference. Um, on a similar note, are there any risk factors for developing ovarian cancer? And are there any, uh, any ways to reduce the risk? Yeah, that is a very important question. And this you will, I mean, is, is something that we are going to do a little discussion, and I'm sure that there is a lot of people who will not agree with me. Um, the major focus when you talk about breast cancer, ovarian cancer, is always the genetic risk. And people like to start screening only those who have a genetic risk. Now, my opinion is that that is incorrect. And again, this is my personal opinion. Well, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, if we see in the general population, if we, we see the majority of the cancers, 15% uh, in the worst is from genetic origin. Yeah. So you have another 85% of the cancers who do not have, or at least we don't know, what genetic component it has. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. I do believe it's critical to screen for those ladies who are in high risk from a genetic point of view. However, you have a big population yeah, that have a risk that I call environmental risk or life quali quality of life risk. That it means what they eat, how they exercise, how they behave, if they smoke, when they, chi when they have children, and so on. Those factors may create a higher risk than just having a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation. All right, well, we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be back in just a couple minutes to talk more with Dr. Gilmore, who is uh, an associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology and an expert on ovarian cancer. And uh, we're going to go to a medical minute. The American Cancer Society estimates that in 2006, there will be over 62,000 new cases of melanoma in this country. 2,400 patients are diagnosed annually in Connecticut alone. While melanoma accounts for only 4% of skin cancer cases, it causes the most skin cancer deaths. Early detection is the key. When detected early, melanoma is easily treated and highly curable. However, patients with advanced melanoma have more hope than ever before. Each day, patients are surviving the disease due to increased access to advanced therapies and specialized care. New treatment options and surgical techniques are giving melanoma survivors more hope than they've ever had before. Clinical trials are currently underway at Yale Cancer Center, Connecticut's only federally designated comprehensive cancer center, to test innovative new treatments for melanoma. Patients enrolled in these trials are given access to newly available medicines, which have not yet been approved by the Food and Drug Administration. This has been a Medical Minute, brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center. For more information, visit our website at YaleCancerCenter.org. Well, welcome back to Healthline, and we'd like to remind you to email your questions to us at healthline at yale.edu. Um, and we would uh, be glad to try to answer them while we're on the air or at a different time. Uh, again, this is Dr. Ken Miller, and I'm in the WTIC studios with Dr. Gil Moore, who's an associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the Yale uh, School of Medicine. Gil, <clears throat> right before the break, we were talking about the risks for ovarian cancer. Are there any ways that women can reduce their risk? There are several aspects that women can do in order to reduce the risk. One is, of course, uh, the quality of life, the type of life a good diet, exercise, 
And here is another point that is difficult to advise, but we know, for example, that early pregnancies in life is a way to decrease the risk of, uh, of ovarian cancer as well as the breast cancer because you reduce the amount of ovulations and the amount of stress that you put in every, every month on those epithelial cells and all the ovaries to repair. So those factors are very important to take in consideration for reducing the risk. Well, I want to go back to uh, w what you were discussing in terms of risk. And, you know, we talked about how, how PSA may only be 60 to 70 percent effective and how you've, you know, there's been a lot of work that your lab has done that has increased the, the ability to, to detect cancer. Um, and from what I understand, you've got a new test or a new way of doing Can you tell us more about that? Yes. Um, as you mentioned, it, when, if you want to start screening the general population with a test that is 95 percent sensitivity, Although, as I mentioned before, is the best that is, exists today. Uh, those false positives, uh, when they start doing big numbers, is, is a major problem. So a perfect test in order to be used for a general screening has to have a sensitivity of 99.6. So since we described this test, we have been working very hard to improve that sensitivity. And the way we did is we changed the platform, so the system that we used to evaluate these markers, and we add two additional markers to a panel. And I have, I'm very happy to share with you this news that are very recent. Our new test, or let's put it, our uh, modification of the original test has now a sensitivity of 99.67 and a specificity of 98%. Well, which is yeah. pretty, which is pretty amazing. It is indeed, and we are very excited with this. Yeah. Um, well, I want to, I want to share with you a couple emails that we received that I think uh, think are relevant. One is from Barbara, who lives in uh, Haddam. She says, "My mother was diagnosed with ovarian cancer when she was in her fifties. Now that I'm approaching fifty, is there anything I should be watchful for?" Yes, uh, we know that uh, ovarian cancer, as well as the majority of the cancers, uh, start appearing as we age. It's, it's a problem of aging, mm -hmm. and we live longer, so we have more cancers. Uh, where the history of ovarian cancer in the family, and as we age, is true, the risk is increasing. Um, what I recommend and would advise is exactly a good follow-up. And for example, our test will be excellent for Barbara. Um, the follow-up of every three months or maybe every th six months with this test is the best way. Let me tell you, uh, taking the question of Barbara, our test functions as the mammography for ovarian cancer. Yeah. So wow. it can be used regularly to tell you whether it's everything okay or something may be wrong. How often would you, would you predict this test should be done? Yeah. Um, as we continue learning from this test, we are changing. Because what we know today is that, the, as I mentioned to you, it's not just one protein. It's, it's six proteins now that we use. So it's very difficult to say, okay, all the proteins will appear suddenly. What we see is that the proteins start changing their concentrations on time. So we are advising now between three to six, every three or six months. The more frequent the test, the better picture we can have of what is going on. And it's very simple. You need just five ml of blood. So it's not an invasive technique. Right. Uh, and you don't require to spend two hours in, in the office for be tested. It takes you exactly 10 minutes. It's a blood test. It's a uh, blood test, yeah. Well, a question for you. you know, uh, uh, 
essentially the, the Discovery to Cure program uh, in some ways has contributed to, to this new technology. What makes this model uh, at Yale so successful? Perfect. Um, everybody talks about translational research. What it makes successful is the team. We have an incredible team where everybody plays the role that they have to play. So the physicians are taking great care of the patients, and we are doing good science. But that, that is what everybody is doing. You have mm -hmm. great physicians that we have even better scientists than us. The difference is that we talk. We talk each other. And what is the talk? That the material from the clinic, and I mean, I mean clinical information, tissue samples, blood samples, are coming to the lab. We do the studies, we found something new, immediately we put a clinical trial. Our physicians will put the clinical trial, will run the clinical trial. The samples that are collected from the clinical trial comes back to us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And again, we analyze where we fail. Sometimes the failures of our clinical trials have been the success for the next steps. Uh, which, is, which is a great way to be. And, and, uh, and actually, I think uh, applies to all parts of life, that, that you learn from your successes and you learn from your failures, too. Uh, if a woman is interested in having this blood test or getting more information, how, you know, who would they contact? We have a telephone number they can contact, and let me give it to you. That is 203-785-6956. Thank you. 785-6956, and uh, that will be posted on the website as well. I want to share with you another email, and, and, and this is from a woman who, who's had ovarian cancer, and I, and I think it, apply, it, it's, it reflects on, might this test be useful for her? It says, Nancy from Groton. She says, I've been treated for stage 2 ovarian cancer six months ago, and what monitoring uh, would you recommend? Okay. Um, the monitoring that exists today is, again, C125, uh, and as well as doing the ultrasound and so on. It, um, C125 is a very good market, and for recurrence is, even, is, is better. I think it's between 17 to 80% in all the cancers. However, again, even at the stage of the recurrence, C125 will go up when the tumor already has grown. Okay. Yeah? Uh, what we are trying to do is to detect before the tumor is big enough that is producing so much factors, or it can be detected by, by an image system. We want to detect when the tumor as just a few cells yep. yeah, that is not able to secrete enough things in the blood. And let me tell you, because that is the other aspect of our test, we're not looking what the tumor is producing in, in the majority of the cases. We're looking at what the body, how the body is responding to the presence of those few cells. So in the case of Anne, the question from Anne, we are also evaluating the possibility of using this test for recurrence the uh, disease. And we have several cases where we have been able to detect recurrence in early stage. And we are now preparing a national clinical trial together with the gynecologic oncology group, the GOG, uh, for the use of this test in monitoring recurrent disease. Uh, this trial will be open maybe at the beginning of 2007 and will enroll nationally close to 2,000 ladies. So the, this blood test that you've developed, this platform, will be helpful in early detection before the disease is ever diagnosed and also for women who may, who may have developed a recurrence of ovarian cancer after treatment. That's correct. Well, we'd like to remind you to please email your questions to us at uh, healthline at yale.edu, especially if you have questions for Dr. Gil Moore. 
who is a, pro a professor of uh, obstetrics and gynecology and a researcher on our ovarian cancer. And we're going to take a short break for a survivorship story. A few years ago, the diagnosis of cancer was a death sentence for many patients. But today, thanks to advances in clinical research, we're turning the corner in the battle against cancer. There are over 10 million cancer survivors now living in the U.S. They are the true heroes in the war against cancer. Here's the story of a hero from Milford. My mother passed away last September after a recurrence of breast cancer. Three weeks later, the results of an earlier biopsy came back as cancerous. Can you imagine my horror? My Yale-based gynecologist, Musis Provenza, referred me to a wonderful surgeon at the Yale Breast Center, Donald Lannon. Dr. Provenza moved quickly. She gave me the news of the diagnosis on a Thursday, and I had an appointment that Friday with Dr. Lannon. Sensing my distress and anxiety over the diagnosis, coupled with the recent death of my mother, Dr. Lannon also moved quickly to alleviate what fear he could and scheduled me for a lumpectomy that Monday. I was then introduced to my oncologist, Dr. Kenneth Miller, at the Yale Cancer Center, and Dr. Joanne Wheathouse, who would become my radiation oncologist. I am fortunate. Dr. Miller and the wonderful nursing staff at the Yale Cancer Center got me through the entire ordeal, healthy, well, and feeling fabulous. This survivor story has been brought to you by Yale Cancer Center. Well, welcome back to Healthline. This is Dr. Ken Miller, and I'm in the WTIC, WTIC studios with our uh, guest, Dr. Gil Moore, an associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the Yale Cancer Center. Uh, Gil, I, one of the big advances that I've read about from your, from your work is uh, subclassifying ovarian cancer into different types. Can, can you share a little bit about that? Sure. Ken, one of our major problems is that uh, we classify the patients. Let's use the ovarian cancer as a model. So according with the histology, the pathological diagnosis, so they will tell you, this is ovarian cancer, epithelial ovarian cancer, simulation, and, and so on. Yeah? So you take the epithelial ovarian cancer in one box, you're given one treatment, but even if it's same, the same type of histologic, the epithelium, not all of them respond the same. Mm -hmm. And even with new drugs, we will talk a little later about the new treatments that we have developed. When we use the same uh, uh, new drugs, not all the patients respond. So this has been breaking our heads. Why the same histology? That in the lab looks exactly the same. They respond different. All right, so you've been able to, to in a sense, classify ovarian cancer into different groups. How does that then reflect on what, on what you hope to do for women? Very good. So what we did is we took the same epithelials and we started looking at them. And we have new technologies, Ken, that allow us to study from the tumor just the single cells. That's the beauty of today's technology. And what we found is that although they look the same, they are not the same. Yeah? And now we have intracellular markers for each tumor that will tell us what will be the appropriate treatment. And I think that's the future of medicine, and that's the future in cancer. We cannot put all the cancers in the same box. There is intracellular markers that will tell us this patient will respond to paclitaxel or will, be re uh, um, will not respond to paclitaxel or will be sensitive to this or resistant to that. So at this point, if a woman has surgery for ovarian cancer at Yale, um, does the material come to the laboratory? Is it analyzed? And, and is the feedback then given to the clinicians? Or have we translated it there yet? Very good. So we have a clinical trial that we are opening now that every time where the, the, the patient goes to the OR, to the, to the surgery, we receive a biopsy of the sample. We use a new technology that is laser capture microdissection that we obtain 500 cells from the tumor, yeah. and we look at all these six of markers. And we can define whether this patient, uh, for example, the treatment of paclitaxel will help to kill the tumor or may help the tumor to grow. Wow. That's what we are finding. 
that if you give a patient the, the, the same drug, it may have the opposite effect. And one patient will kill the tumor and it respond to the treatment. In other patients, the same compound in the same epithelial ovarian cancer will induce grow the tumor. So hopefully this will actually will impact on, on the drug, on tr- uh, drug choice. That's correct. And that's what we want. We want to be able to help the clinician, the surgeon, in order to determine according to those markers what type of a specific chemotherapy it will be useful to that patient. Gil, I'm going to ask you to say a couple more words about, so you, you get 500 cells from the tumor, and, and how are you looking at that? Uh, how are you analyzing those cells? Is that under the microscope or those? What kind of No, techniques? we go at the protein level. Mm-hmm. So we, we look at using technologies like Western blood, ELISA, and so on. Those are technologies that allow us to see the expression of a specific proteins. And uh, using also the cells in vivo, so the cells are alive, when we isolate them, we can also see how they respond to some of the drugs. And the combination of those uh, different tests, it gives us a better idea of what will be good for that patient. What are the next steps for, for your research team? Uh, in, uh, you know, as you've been working on these projects, what do you, where do you see the field going? Yeah, um, you know, one of the major problems is, is that we are finding many uh, cancers that, that are resistant to all the drugs that we know. Yeah. And then there's another major idea that I want to share with you, Ken, is that when we talk about recurrent disease and we talk about the, the cancer in advanced stages, I'm giving a big respect to this mass because it's an evolution in front of our eyes. It is able to acquire the capacity of uh, use the weapons that we're trying to kill the tumor for its own growth, mm-hmm. one thing. And the other area that we're very interested and in work a lot is the immunological part. The tumor in advanced stages use the immune system to feed its own growth. So we see, for example, when we give some stimulus vaccinations, that you can have an infiltration of immune cells. We will be happy, we'll think, oh my goodness, we are able to take the, tu- the immune cells and kill the tumor. The opposite, those immune cells that are going inside of the tumor is helping the tumor to grow. So are, what are, how do I see the future of research? Is now trying to modulate, to attack those different aspects of this evolution of the tumor, to stop the inflammatory process, the control of the immune system, and to control another area, if you allow me, is the regulation of a process that is called apoptosis. And, and what is that? What is apoptosis? A little of philosophy. In order to survive, we need to die. Mm-hmm. So dying continuously in our tissues regenerate the tissue and clean up the tissue. Once we become resistant to apoptosis or resistant to cell death, that is apoptosis, normal cell death. When some, a cell becomes resistant to that is when it becomes a cancer. The way that chemotherapy kills those cancer cells is by activating apoptosis. So, okay, so in a sense, the, the, the two things that, that you're, you're saying really may hold out a lot of hope. One is immunology, uh, looking at how, how, the tumor, how we respond to the tumor and how that may be helping or hurting and regulating that, and also regulating apoptosis. That's correct. What kind of clinical trials are available at Yale uh, that, that may reflect on, on, the, on this research that you're doing? We are bringing several compounds. Just because of time, I will tell you the example of one drug that we started exactly in the lab is the compound that we found that modulates the apoptotic cascade. 
The name is phenoxodile. And this compound, when regulates the apoptotic cascade, sensitize the chemo-resistant ovarian cancer cells now to the drugs that were previously resistant. And we started with phase one, we're now in phase two, and there is uh, a company who uh, has the company, produced the company, is or- produced the compound, sorry, is organizing a phase three. But we have a phase two clinical trial running now at Yale for the combination of phenoxidile um, uh, and uh, taxoter. Is this a drug with a lot of side effects, phenoxidile? Absolutely not. And that is the advantage and the concept that because the drugs that are, that are modulators shouldn't be toxic. Well, I have to say this has been a, uh, a fascinating half hour, and I've, I've really learned a lot about ovarian cancer, and I'm very excited about some of the, some of the new advances. Um, again, this is, and, and uh, I'd like to thank uh, uh, Gil, you for joining us. Any last messages that you want to share with the audience? Um, what I would like to thank is all those patients that when they go to the clinic, they agree to share with us uh, a blood sample, or they sign a consent saying, here is the tumor or here is my, uh, my tissue, because it may not help them, but they are helping thousands of women in the future, and they are the real ones who are making the medicine. Hey, and thank you for saying that. I'd like to uh, remember, please tune in. I'd like to thank Dr. Gilmore, and I want to remind you to please uh, tune in to WDITIC News Talk 1080 every Sunday morning at 830 from the, for Healthline with the Yale Cancer Center. And our next program will focus on the detection and treatment of head and neck cancer with our guests, Dr. Harry Deshpande and Dr. Clarence Sasaki. Until then, this is Dr. Ken Miller from the Yale Cancer Center wishing you a safe and healthy week. You've been listening to Healthline, a joint venture of Yale Cancer Center and WTIC News Talk 1080. Join us next Sunday morning from 830 to 9 a.m. for another edition of Healthline on WTIC News Talk 1080.